Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to have you here. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Ryan Keith. I'm an elder here at the church. And we really believe here at West Shore that life groups are a place to um, encounter Jesus and grow in Christ together, to experience Jesus and grow in Christ together. If you are already in a life group, I just want to encourage you to keep pressing into one another and grow in the likeness of Christ as you meet and gather together. Keep looking for ways that each of you are image bearers of God and how could you join one another to do this life together as you grow in the likeness of Christ. And if you're not in a life group, we would love to help you find a place to belong and a place to do life together. And on April 12th, we're gonna have a life group launch here at the church and we'd love to have you there. And so you look for um, more on that in the days to come, but mark it on your calendars. April 12th, it's a Thursday night. We're gonna do a life group launch and we'd love to have you plug in if you're not into a life group already. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, I am the president of an organization called Forgotten Voices that was birthed out of this church. Uh, Forgotten Voices, our mission is to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ by equipping local churches in Southern Africa to meet the physical and spiritual needs of children orphaned by AIDS in their communities. And this past Christmas, Christmas Eve, this church was extremely generous to Forgotten Voices And you gave us over $57,000 for Forgotten Voices. And that will impact over uh, 100, it will impact hundreds of lives, not just now, but likely for eternity. So on their behalf, uh, we are deeply, deeply grateful. Uh, And uh, for those of you that haven't heard, um, after 14 years of shepherding Forgotten Voices and after um, watching God do the impossible through local churches in Southern Africa. I'm I'm grateful to God that he's now called me to become the pastor of strategic initiatives here at the church. So as of July 1st, I'll be stepping down as my role as elder and for my role at Forgotten Voices to come here full time uh, to dedicate myself and this next season of my life to helping our church grow and fulfilling our mission even more. And our mission here at the church is to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truths, deep lives and deep love for the glory of Christ. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do that. And this morning, we're going to look at what the value of life, what is the value of life as illustrated by the cross and what God teaches us about the value of life through the cross. And as someone who has now sat bedside next to hundreds of people no longer with us and next to thousands of children who have lost their earthly champion and their parent, I can tell you unequivocally that life is valuable and we need not waste it. Uh, And I am so grateful for this uh, time this morning that we have to dive in and look at the value of life um, as illustrated by the cross. And so I'd be hard pressed if we look at like, how is life, how is the value of life assessed? I think I'd be hard pressed to find anyone here that would say human life is not valuable, right? Most of you would agree that human life has some value, if not a lot of value. But how many of you are on Facebook? Any of you on Facebook? Raise your hands. No, keep them up. I want your friends to see. You might know some people that are friends on Facebook that you've actually never met. Um, So, uh, okay, so for those of you not on Facebook, this still applies to you. Uh, Facebook, uh, the average Facebook user is now spending about an hour a day on Facebook. And, And in that hour, Right now, I just read a study recently that in, in, right now, we are judging people at about 150 times a day. 
as we scroll through our feeds or, or move our monitors and, and, and look through our feeds and we're making judgments about people, right? And sometimes unconsciously, sometimes just, it's just happening. But like this person uh, goes on vacation too much. Uh, this person eats too much. This person's always whining. This person's always bragging. This person's kids cannot be that cute, <laughs> right? Um, we boil people down and over time, we start devaluing people and compartmentalizing people into what they allow us to see and what we allow ourselves to believe about those people. And increasingly, we're judging people over and over and over again. But whether you're on Facebook or not, that's not the point because throughout all of human history, we've judged people and devalued people and compartmentalized them because as we see people, that first encounter and we see them or think about them, uh, that helps us assess where they fit. Do we need to remember this? Are they valuable? Are they not valuable? But do we value life? Maybe yes, maybe not. Let's look at it. Let's look at some examples. Unborn children, do we value them? Do we value women who have had an abortion? Do we value our crazy uncle? Everyone has an uncle, or not. Uh, do we value our mother-in-law? My mother-in-law was here this morning, first service. I said I valued her. She's not here now. I still value her. Okay? And not just because she's valuable, because she gave me my wife, right? She gave birth to my wife. It was a transactional value. And I still value her because she's made in the image of God. Uh, what about the guy who steals our food at work? What about our neighbors? What about the lady that takes our order at the deli counter? What about the immigrant? As a Red Sox fan, this one's tough for me. What about Yankees fans? What about people with severe physical or mental or emotional challenges? What about the homeless? What about the wealthy? What about alcoholics and drug addicts? What about human traffickers? What about prostitutes? Do we value people who look different than us? Do we value the elderly? Do we value those who cannot speak English? Do we value those who cannot speak at all? Do we value people we will never see? Do we value people we will never meet? Do we value people that we talk about when we gossip about them with our friends? Do we value life? As you heard that list, somewhere along the way, you probably said, yeah, that's true for me. I don't value those people. That's true for all of us. Do you find yourself to be of value? Do you believe that you have value? Do you see yourself as someone worthy of being valued? So how can value be assessed? As people, we often value people for how they make us feel 
or what they can do for us. That's even true for our children. This is gonna be my legacy. I love the way they make me smile. I don't always love the way they ask me incessantly for the same thing when I've already said no. Uh, But I do love them a lot, but I oftentimes do value them more when they make me feel good. But the difference between people where we often value people for what they can do for us or how they make us feel, God says our lives have value simply because he values us. In this series, we're looking at what the cross reveals about life. And this morning, we're going to look at what the cross reveals about the value of life. Today, I want to look at how God communicates his value of life to us. And then I want us to look at how we should live out God's value of life. So how does God communicate his value of life? God valued us before we were created. God valued us before we were created. We were made in the image of God and it was very good. From the beginning, the God who made the heavens and the earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, ma- the, the maker of all good things, right? After five days of creation, this is what he said. This is Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. This is what it says. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the previous five days, he said, after each day, he said the creations were good. But listen to this, jump down to verse 31. This is what it says. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So we were created in God's image and we weren't just good, we were very good. But he didn't just make us, right? He created us with great intentionality. We weren't just made like at a factory and it was good and they're all like, they're all the exact same. Uh, We were made with great intentionality, each one of us. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what David says in Psalm 139, verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The maker of the heavens and earth, the God who knows how many hairs on your head and every corner of your soul made you. And he didn't just make you, He made everyone in this room, and not just everyone in this room, but everyone who's alive and everyone who has ever lived. And he he didn't just make each of us in his image. He intentionally and meticulously made each one of you. Not those of us that just have value because we're perfect, right? Everyone's always said, I have a long nose, right? Uh, God intricately and intentionally made me. Whether you live for 19 minutes as a friend of mine lost his son and only was here for 19 minutes or whether you're 120 years old, no matter how short or long your life is, God made you to be an image bearer of him and he made you with great intentionality. And that we can know for sure. But God didn't just make us in his image and make us intentionally. 
God values our living, not just our creation. He is intimately aware of our daily happenings. This is what it says in Matthew 6.26. Listen to this. This is what it says. Matthew 6.26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet our heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He values our living so much that he's watching out for us and watching over us wherever we go. My daughter, Leah, she's four. She's so cute. Um, and uh, she's so cute. And, and one of the things she used to do all the time is she used to walk around and say, Genesis 28, 15, I'll be with you and watch over you wherever you go. She used to say it over and over and over to the point that it got to be annoying. And then I was so convicted because I'm like, wow, what a thing to permeate into my daughter's heart. I'll be with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go. Though God cares about us and values us deeply, we were made for a purpose. As Trent shared last week, we were made for a purpose and we're, our purpose was to worship God forever. Our purpose was to worship God forever, including by having a cross-centered view of everything. But I don't know about you, I don't know whether you feel valuable today uh, and you feel like, oh man, this is not for me. I don't need God. I've got it all together. Or whether you feel so small that there's no way that God can value you. The message we have this morning is that you are valuable, not for what you've done for God, but because of what he's done for you and how he has made you to be an image bearer of him. He's made you intentionally and he doesn't care just about your creation, but he cares about your living. But since Adam and Eve, humanity at times has never struggled to think that they're valuable, right? In fact, we've often thought that we're so valuable that we don't even need God, that we're so valuable that we don't even need each other. If God made man in his image and it was not just good, but very good, why do I need God, we might ask. From the start, Satan has been whispering, you're like him. You're like him. Satan said to Eve at the very beginning, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Since Adam and Eve, every single person up until Jesus fell short of the glory of God, but so many of us and throughout all of humanity have thought that we are worthy of God's affection. Look at what I've done for you, God. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. All those things. And others of us feel like we are worthless. But what we're going to learn this morning is that it's not about what we've done for God, but what God has done for us. All of human history has been foolishly declaring that we can stand apart from God. And we've tried over and over and over to proclaim our own value. So many times from the beginning of man through the Old Testament and even to today, God has told us what to do. We said we would. We said we were worshiping him. God, you are the great God, the glorious God. Of course, I will not fail you. I will not do that again. I am so sorry. I repent. God, please, I, I give you my life. And in you and you alone will I worship. And then like this, we forget. And sometimes we don't forget. We choose not to trust in God 
We, we choose to disobey God. We choose to run away from God. We choose to sin against God. We, seem to, we choose to reject God and say, I got it, God. Too often we treat God as a vending machine. We'll need you when we need you. But this morning, I hope you see that God doesn't just care about your creation, but in your living. I don't know what's going on with you. As I said before, I don't know whether you uh, value yourself so much that you don't think that you need God. Whether someone's dragged you in here this morning and you don't want to be here, but you value your relationship so you've come and you don't know if you need God. Or I don't know whether you uh, this morning think that you are unloved. I don't know what father figure or mother figure or relative or someone in your life has spoken some ill truth about who you are to make you believe what it seems to every fiber of your being that you are unvaluable. I don't know whether you feel like you once knew how much God loved you, but today you, you're cowering in fear and hiding from God because you've sinned against him so much that there is no way that you can ever recover your relationship that you once had when you were a child. Maybe you've, you've, you've disappointed God in some way and you don't quite know what to make of it and you haven't shared it with anyone and you know God loves you, but you just, you, just, you just aren't the same. I want to tell you, friends, that it's not your value. All of those things that, that you feel and all of those things that people have told you that just aren't true about your value. God doesn't love you because of what you've done for him. He loves you and says you're valuable because he says you're valuable. You have value to him no matter what you've done, no matter how far you feel from God, no matter whether you feel like you need God or you don't. Nothing can separate us from the love of our father. Nothing. So as we continue this morning, my hope, my prayer, my yearning is that you would know that God loves you, not for what you've done for him, but what he has done for you. And we have a merciful God. Well, we judge people and one another by how they make us feel or what they've done for us. God's love shows that we are valuable because he says we are valuable. So valuable that he came to earth. Jesus himself declares a truth about why he came. Look at Luke chapter four, verse 18. Luke chapter four, verse 18 and 19. And this is what Jesus reads. And he's reading from Isaiah 61, which is a promise of Christ's coming. And we're gonna get to that a couple weeks after Easter. Um, but this is from Luke chapter four, verses 18 through 19. This is what it said. This is what Jesus is saying about why he came. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God, the maker of the heavens and earth, emptied himself and came to earth in the form of a baby to live and die and rise again that we may have life 
and have it to the full. He didn't just come because we were ready. He didn't just come because we have our act together. He didn't just come because somehow, somewhere in the whole spheres of time, there was a generation of people who were finally worthy of his affection. He came because he said enough. There's no way these people can do what I've made them to do. And I am coming because even though they fail me over and over again, and even though they say they will follow me, even though they say they will love me, even though they say they will have no other God before me, they do not do it over and over and again. But I am coming to save them, not because of what they've done, but because my value for them is so wide and deep that I am coming to say, this is enough. I love you. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming for you. This is what it says in Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8, this is what it says. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Without the cross, each of our lives, all of mankind would be languishing, separated from God. But in Christ, and what he's done is he's bridged the divide between between where we were in toiling on earth, separated from God, and he has made a way for us to have eternal life. And if you've heard this verse a hundred times or a thousand times or more than a thousand, or you've been dragged in here by someone and you've never heard what I'm about to say before, or maybe you're here because you're curious and there's something that, that you just needed to come this morning no matter which camp you're in, I want you to listen to what I'm saying next. And I want this to ruminate in your hearts. And I pray that whatever walls you have, whether you're a believer or not, I want what, what we're about to, what I'm about to read, I want it to break through the walls of your heart so that you may know of God's love for you. John 3, 16 and 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God declares his value for us and that he didn't just care about our living, but also our dying he didn't just care about our living, but also our dying. He loved us so much that we were broken. We weren't doing what we said we were going to do. We weren't doing what he made us to do, but he descended. He emptied himself from heaven and came in the form of a baby to live and die for us. Not just for our living that we can move with freedom and purpose here on earth, but also for our, our living in heaven with him. He cared about our dying too. The cross shows us that while we are still sinners and broken people, we still had inherent value to God. And he didn't just let us in, right? He didn't just let us into heaven like, okay, you just barely made it, but I'll let you in. He crowns us. He crowns us. He doesn't just want us to get into heaven as if that weren't enough. He's concerned about our living on earth. Every moment of our lives has value. And he wants us to feel valued, but valued in his declaration of value, not in our own of ourselves. 
He doesn't, want to beat our, he doesn't want us to beat ourselves up for failing him or being sinners and we just can't get our life together. He knows you can't get your life together apart from him. He knows your life apart from him is going to be perpetually in shambles. He knows that you can be so far from God and never acknowledge him, but have the whole world figured out. You could be the most affluent, prosperous, healthy person But guess what? At the end of the road, if you don't have a relationship with God, you starve an eternity apart from God. It's not what you've done for him that you have value. It's what he has done for you. You are valuable because he says you are valuable. And here's how he shows us his value. He crowns us. We weren't just invited into the party and made to sit in the back of the room. Right? So the other guests don't see us. This is what it says in John 1, verse 12 through 13. John 1, verse 12 through 13. It says, All who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If we believe in him, we are sons and daughters of the King. We're not just in the room. We're sons and daughters of the king. Let that sit in. We're sons and daughters of the king. There's so many verses in the Bible that say this. Another one of my favorite ones is 2 Corinthians 6, 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 18. And this is what that says. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We aren't just in, but we're sons and daughters of the king. The God who made the heavens and the earth came for you. That is awesome. And I love that it says, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. With all the, you know, like... In preparation for this morning, I've just been so convicted that so many of you have had a difficult relationship with your dads. And this this idea of being a father to you, I want you to know that God's love for you knows no earthly understanding. And even if you had the best father, I have a great father, and I'm so thankful to God for that. Merciful God. I have a great father. But whether you've had a terrible father or a great father, There is nothing that can compare to God's great love for you. If you felt loved by your parent or you felt rejected by your parent, I want you to know without any hesitation that God's love for you knows no bounds and it is secure. Not in what you've done for him. You don't need to worry about disappointing him. Uh, He loves you. No matter what you've done or what you're bringing in here on a Sunday morning, no matter how far you feel from God, no matter the sin that is eating away at you, uh, if you believe in God and make him Lord and Savior over your lives, you can have eternity with him. You don't need to do anything else but acknowledge that God is your Savior. And you don't just get in the room and slip in the back door. You don't get to skip the line and like, Figure out a way in and weasel your way in. You are ushered in to heaven as a son and daughter of the king. And last, God shows us his value for us 
and that we are part of his plan. We're part of his plan. Ephesians 5.1 says, Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The church, this church, you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, God loves you so much that he has made you part of the plan. You are God's plan A and there is no plan B. We are the manifestation of the gospel. We are valued by God so much that we are the plans. We are his ambassadors. We are the ways that he is gonna reveal his glory and love to the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20, this is what that says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God values us so much that he asks us to live in such a way that we might glorify him. The theologian, the theologian John Stott once said, we might be the only Bible that people ever read. The way we spend our lives. And we, guess what, friends? I don't want you to walk out of here with a heavy heart with that great thing that, that you're part of God's plan. I don't want you to walk out of here with this heavy weight that's not meant for you to carry. I'm gonna let you a little clue. You're gonna disappoint God. Probably today, probably in the next hour maybe even right now. It's going to happen. But again, we give God most glory when we don't try to pretend that we've got it all together. We don't pretend that we've got the world figured out and we, and we alone as the body of believers, as Christians in America, are the only ones that are gonna have the good graces of God and the rest of you, good luck. It's not what we've done, but what God has done for us. And we can move with a freedom knowing that even when we fail, if we come back before God and say, God, I'm so sorry, you are my Lord and Savior and thank you for valuing me not just when I do right by you, but when I do wrong by you. You have said in your word that I am valuable and you are my Lord and Savior. And you're eager to go out and tell others what God has done for you. I strongly love, I strongly advocate that people have a mission statement. If you don't have a mission statement for your life, I really encourage you to think about how to spend your life on the gospel. And a mission statement is just such a good way to do that, to, to, to help filter out, is there a way that I'm spending my life? Am I spending my life in such a way that I'm spending my life on the gospel? How I spend my time, the media that I allow to soak and permeate my heart and my mind, what are the things that filter out what we're trying to do with our lives? And, and here's my mission statement. This is, this is what I'm doing. This is who I'm about. This is what I hope I'm about. I fail at it too often than I'd like, but this is what drives me. My mission statement is to glorify God forever by declaring what God is for and equipping other people to do the same. To glorify God forever by 
declaring what God is for and equipping other people to do the same. So this morning, I hope that we've laid out how God values us. I hope I've declared what our God is for, that he's for you. His value in him is secure. And now I want to equip you to do the same. I want to equip you to go out and do this. I want to equip you to live out God's value of life. And here's how we're going to do that. Love your neighbor. I know you've heard that before, and, and I don't want you to just dismiss it because everybody says that, including God. I want you to remember that, love your neighbor, and here's what I mean when I say that. I want you to remember that you are valuable. I want you to remember that they are valuable. When I say you love your neighbor, I don't mean be nice to them. I don't mean tolerate them. I don't mean just be gracious to them until they go away. I mean love your neighbor. Every person you encounter is an image bearer of God, whether they know the Lord yet or not. They are an image bearer of God and a potential son and daughter of the king. So when you meet people, I want you to approach people. When you think about people and you come up to people in whatever realm of life, I want you to think about them as image bearers of God. That in them, you are about to encounter and experience an attribute of God, potentially that you've never seen before. I don't care who they are or what they've done, whether they're being mean to you or not. I've sat with human traffickers, I've sat with witch doctors. I've sat with people who have perpetually abused their children. Each one of those people is an image bearer of God. And it's our joy and privilege as valued by God that we are part of the plan to help people unearth how God is at work in them. So as you meet people, when, you, when I say love your neighbor, I want you to literally, I want you to think about this crown, this bright, big, opulent, gaudy crown, right? I want you to think about this and say that when this is put on us as sons and daughters of the king, when we reach heaven, wow. I want you to love your neighbor, not by being nice to them, but by seeing them as image bearers of our king. And here's how this plays out in a very practical way. Um, when you think about... Uh, how many of you have ever been to a deli counter, right? At the grocery store? A few of you, you're missing out if you haven't. Whew. I've been to a lot of crazy places, but a deli counter is one of them. And the thing that I mean is that when you go to a deli counter, it's like the Wild West at times, right? They have the number there, you know, the number board and you're like, wait for your number to be called. And there's the little things that you pull that I never quite get right and I always tear it wrong. You pull it, but some people don't seem to be taking numbers. And they're just cutting in line. And other of us, we have numbers. And wait, it's 42 before 44. Wait, I thought, I thought I was first. It's crazy. And then it's not just crazy of people cutting in line. It's crazy because we all have these crazy needs. We don't just go up and they ask me, what do I want? Cheese. I'd like some cheese. Well, what kind of cheese? Well, how many choices do I have? There's lots of choices. It's crazy. 
And then like, not just like, do you want a thin slice, medium slice? I don't know. I just want cheese. My wife told me to get cheese. Um, and then cut the ham. Do you want to taste it? No, I don't want to taste it. I want to move this thing along. You know, like I'm just here for cheese. Let's get in, get out, right? But a very practical example is like, I've been, I've been in chaotic. A friend of mine works at the deli counter and it, it's, it, it, gets, it gets crazy. Uh, first world problems, right? Um, but uh, we, you know, when we go up to the deli counter and it's finally our turn and we take our order and, and try to be a little less demanding next time after this story. And, 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 uh, and you, you, you go to your, it's your turn and, and they help you with your order. And this is sometimes what I say to people like at the deli counter. I say, you know, the God I serve tells me that I should serve with joy. And this has been crazy and we've all been really demanding, but I'm really grateful for the way that you help me see what it means to serve with joy. Now you might say that's crazy and over the top, but every person we meet is an image bearer of God. I can't tell you how many times I've said things like that to people and I'm not just trying to be nice to them. I'm actually trying to help them see that they are image bearers of my God. I don't need to get into the four spiritual laws at the deli counter, although sometimes that occurs. Um, but, but you, if you ever sit next to me on a plane, look out. Um, but, but the thing is, is that, that I'm amazed the more times I do it, the more I see that often for the very first time, people see themselves, or the very first time in a long time, they see themselves as having value, inherent value. They mean something, not just for what they did for me, but they mean something because they are who they are. God made that person to serve with joy. And they'd probably be doing that wherever they are and wherever they go. And I learned something about God through being served by them. And our church is full of people who do this well. Our church is full of people who have taught me what it means to see the image of God in others. And so I just want to list a few. If I don't say your name, it's not that I don't think you're important. Uh, and you haven't been paying attention if you're worried about that. Um, that's what I said the first service, but it is, isn't true because um, we were all made in the image of God and all of you have things to teach me. So. But Margaret Gray, Margaret Gray has taught me that those in prison need not be prisoners for eternity. Margaret Gray has helped me see that those who are in prison need not be prisoners for eternity. Their lives are valuable. Or my friend Ellen Schaefer and her work with refugees, that refugees are welcome here, that we're all lost, but now we are found, that we're all blind, but now we see, that even though they're wandering on earth, they have a place here with us and they're welcome here. Or Abby Turner, volunteer at someone to tell, or she now is on staff with someone to tell it to, and she trains others to listen well and helps people often for the first time in their lives see and experience that they are valued and loved because they've been heard. And Abby is spending her time equipping people to become good listeners. Or Lynn Cox, who recently got back from Thailand helping speak truth into girls' lives who are trapped in human trafficking. And now she's back trying to do the same here in central Pennsylvania. Or David Simonick, who works with the A-team. I just met with him and what an amazing guy 
just serves and loves folks in our A-team because they are made in the image of God. And every person that he meets in the A-team, he's there because they're made in the image of God. Or Dan Lundblad, who teaches us all that our marriage is not just worth saving, it's worth thriving in. Or Joanna Denstadt in Radiant Hope, that radiant hope can be found amidst cancer or any crisis, come what may, because no matter where you go or what you're going through, God is with you and watching over you wherever you go. Or Scott Dunwoody, who's taught me that homelessness doesn't define our worth and we always have a home with our creator. Or Antonio Hinton, who's part of our welcome team. I'm just getting to know him, but I love that the way he makes people feel welcomed. Wherever they've come from, whatever they have going on in their lives, they belong here with us this morning. Or my friend Kim Jones, who always says, bring it in for a hug. Or Eileen Jeffrey. If you know Eileen Jeffrey, man, there's lots of things I could say about Eileen Jeffrey. But if you just need a hug and a smile, she's your gal. Uh, she, uh, She has seen me and helped me walk through a lot of dark moments. And sometimes where words fail, she just smiles and tells me more than we could ever say with words. And on and on and on. Well, I'm excited to help us learn how to become searchers, seekers for the good of the West Shore and beyond. As I said before, on July 1st, I'm going to be coming on staff here as the pastor of strategic initiatives. And one of the things that we're going to be doing um, is is this, uh, one of the things we're going to be doing with me leading the way is a thing called City Team. I'm going to be facilitating an initiative called City Team that's been going on for about a year. Some of you have heard about it. Trent's talked about it a couple times. But just briefly about what City Team is. What it is, there's been about 15 of us, 15 of us, and we have... um, been doing interviews. We've been doing interviews of people who serve from uh, in government, law enforcement, education, healthcare, and marketplace. And we've been interviewing 250 community leaders in the area across those sectors. Some of them don't know the Lord. Some of them do. Uh, that's, That's not the point. The point is to find leaders in our community in those sectors and asking them these questions. What keeps you up at night? What are you dreaming about? What are the challenges you're facing? How could our church come alongside and not do something for you, but do something with you to to manifest this dream that you've had for a long time? You just couldn't quite figure out how to do it. And across all of those sectors, the recurring theme that we've heard is the need to address the breakdown of the family. So we as a church are going to put a stake in the ground and say we as a church are going to look at how do we even do more to help strengthen families in central Pennsylvania as we seek the good of the West Shore and beyond. And not just families, but not just strengthening families, but particularly, we're gonna be looking at the areas of mentoring and transportation. And on April 14th, that's a Saturday, from nine to 11, I would love for as many of you as we can to come spend Saturday morning with me and other folks on the city team. And this is gonna be the first of many opportunities for you to learn about what we're gonna be doing uh, over the next uh, coming years and months, months and years. but here, here, let me say this about City Team. Um, City Team, I'm really excited about what we're doing and what we're hearing. I'm, I'm pumped about how God is making a way for us. Um, but City Team and strategic initiatives of this church won't work 
unless we really believe that people are valuable. No initiative that we can take on is gonna work if we don't believe that people are valuable. If we don't believe that we're gonna expect to, to encounter God when we meet our neighbors. If we don't believe that families are worth saving in our own lives and our neighbors or our friends. No initiative of the church is gonna, is gonna break the chains of broken families or revitalize culture if we as a church, we as people, every single person in this room doesn't offer up our lives to the Lord to, to let him be used, use us to strengthen families. So as we wait for July 1st, and I, and I am starting July 1st, uh, as we get ready for the launch of strategic initiatives at our church, I want you to pray about who in your life you could mentor. I want you to pray about how you can come alongside families and children, unexpected fathers and mothers, vulnerable families. How can you come alongside them outside of the programs of the church and just love people well because they were made in the image of God? I want you to pray how you and your family might be able to solve a logistical challenge of transportation, helping families in your community who don't have access to reliable transportation get to where they need to go. This won't work if we don't value people. As the worship team comes forward, I wanna say that I'm really grateful for the opportunity uh, to share God's word today. Uh, but I don't want the message, the main message to be lost. Life is valuable. Not because what we've done for God, but what he has done for us. God made us in his image and he didn't just make us all the same. He made us intentionally, each one. And he doesn't just care about our creation, he cares about our living. And he also cares about our dying. He cares about us so much that he sent himself from heaven to earth to die and defeat death on the cross. And now we have a story to tell about what God has done for us. Not what we've done for him, but what God has done for us. And in doing so, we can spend our lives on the gospel so that all who encounter us see and meet him. That is a life worth living. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for our opportunity to spend time in your word. And I pray now as we close with this song, I pray, Lord, that we know uh, without any uncertainty that you have paid it all. And to you, we owe our all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.